Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning. We are um, starting another beautiful morning here. I actually opened the doors this morning and noticed it was a little cool, just a little bit. I could tell there was a difference in the air. So it's not like some of you guys up north where it's actually really, really cold at night now. But down here, we, we um, sense a tiny bit of a difference. So that's good. Let me see. So let me, um, I'm going to go to trivia since I found that interesting. What's better than a horse that can count? Well, how about a spelling bee? A snake, that's an adder. Rabbits that multiply, cells that divide, and a calculator. <laughs> I thought that was very clever. Now let me see if um, what else we have here. The Warren Commission. Controversial Warren Commission was made public. It was concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in the assassination of Kennedy and Jack Ruby also acted alone two days later in killing Oswald. And uh, the word controversial is used for a good reason, because it is very controversial. So um, keep that in mind. I would I encourage you to do your own research. Um, he didn't act alone. September 27th, 1922. First 3D movie, 1922. You look through either a red or green lens, and, uh, and that gave you the 3D effect. Pretty amazing. Um, 1785, the first display of a model of a steamboat was given to the Philosophical Society of Philadelphia. They probably laughed at it, but that was the first one. And the Jesuits started on this day, 1540. They were called the Society of Jesus. Later shortened, I guess, to the Jesuits somehow. And officially recognized by the Pope has been organized by Ignatius of um, Loyola, 1535. The Jesuits, interesting group. Um, yeah, that's about all I can say about them. They're interesting group. Let's go over to the reading, if you will. Second Kings 19. And we will get right into the word since we've had a lot of issues getting going today. Father God, thank you for this morning. Pray that you would guide and direct us as we get into your word. Thank you for all that you are doing for us and um, blessing us with the time that we get to have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Kings 19. And when the king Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household with Shebna, the scribe, and the elders and the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection, for children have come to birth, but there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of Reb Shakim, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left, 
So the servants of the king, Hezekiah, came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid, because the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me, behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Then Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. And when he heard them say concerning Teraka, king of Cush, behold, he has come out to fight against you, he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely, so you will be spared. Did the gods of those nations, which my fathers destroyed, deliver them? Even Gosen and Haran and Reseph, the sons of Eden, who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arphad, the king of the city of Shepharvim, and Hena and Iva? Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and he went out to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kings of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and listen to the words of Sennacherib. He has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They have cast their gods into the fire. For they are not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, I have heard you. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. She has despised you and mocked you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She has shaken her head behind you. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy One of Israel? Through your messengers you have reproached the Lord, and you have said, with my many chariots, I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remote parts of Lebanon. I cut down all the tall cedars and the choice cypresses, and I entered its farthest lodging place, its thickest forest. I dug wells and drank foreign water, and with the sole of my feet, I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I did it. From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were short of strength. They were dismayed and put to shame. They were as the vegetation of the field and the green herb, as grass on the housetops is scorched before it is grown up. But I know you're sitting down, and you're going out, and you're coming in, and you're raging against me. Because of your raging against me and because your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose. 
and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Then this shall be the sign to you. You will eat this year what grows of itself. In the second year, what springs from the same. And in the third year, sow, reap, and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant. And out of Mount Zion survivors, the zeal of the Lord will will perform this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, I, he will not come to the city or shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And it came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrak, his god, that Adramelech and Sharezer killed him with the sword and they escaped in the land of Erat and Ereshadon his son became king in his place well we've read this story what twice it's it keeps coming up because um obviously God wanted it to be repeated he wanted Israel to remember this story he wanted them to remember that even though they would go into captivity, even though that they were rebelling against him, he still would honor those that were faithful to him. Hezekiah was honoring God. He was trying his best, made some bad mistakes, but he was honoring him at this time in his life. Even though he had once tried to appease the king of Assyria and offer him gold from the temple and did everything wrong, now he says, look, I got to... It's it's all or nothing. I got to trust in God, and so he lays down on his face and he prays over the letter. Isaiah's there, hears it, and he says, "You know what? They're not going to touch the city." God says, "They're not going to touch the city because you cried out to God. You did not try and figure out how to beat this on your own." And so God honors it, and He gives him this promise through Isaiah. So important, and so important that we get a hold of this. And I am always looking at this going, would I do that? Could I be like Hezekiah here? Never faced a literal army over the wall saying, we're coming in to wipe you out. And hearing my inner conscience or some other believer saying, Bible says trust in him. Don't open the gate. Don't do anything but trust in God. Wait, watch, and see what God will do. Man, that is faith. That is some serious faith and God does cause us at time to do that he does he also tells and gives us wisdom on how to fight our battles he did that with David told him battle plans you know surround the city go send men in the back wait in the woods he, he does he fights his battles his way sometimes it involves us sometimes it doesn't but here in this case God wanted them to wait and see they were outnumbered they had 
they would have they have no way to really win against this army uh, in and of themselves because of the size of the army. But God says, I'm so much bigger than those things. And so we're supposed to surrender those kind of issues, those problems that we have, whatever's assailing us, coming against us, trying to conquer over us. We're supposed to wait and watch and pray and lay it out before the Lord, whatever it is, write on a piece of paper and lay it out on, on, the, on, on the floor and lay out on the floor and say, Lord, this is, I, I this is more than I can handle. And pray about it and ask God to do something about it and see what he does. Moving on to Psalm 46 now. God is our refuge and strength, a very pleasant help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God and be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Boy, that would be a mighty psalm for Hezekiah to be reading during his time, wouldn't it? Just be reading that, trusting the Lord, and knowing that he is in the city of God, and that God could set those chariots on fire, that he could, he can and does break the bow. Psalm 80, O give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your power and come to save. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and you have made them to drink tears in large measure. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. You removed a vine from Egypt and drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its boughs. It was sending out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges, so that all who pass that way pick its fruit? A boar from the forest eats it away, and whatever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, turn again now. We beseech you, look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine, even this shoot which your right hand has planted, and on the son whom you have strengthened for yourself. It is burned with fire. 
it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Beautiful psalm and of course the hedge in the wood that everybody's eating off, feeding off. It seems to be a reverence to Israel that uh, God was allowing them to come in and conquer and, and, and you know take them into slavery or whatever it was or to cause them to pay tribute, those kinds of things. And here is a psalmist um, praying for forgiveness and restoration before God that God would return to them and show his face upon them as long as they would repent. And so he's kind of repenting for them, like Daniel, like Jeremiah, different people, different times, even Paul, asking for forgiveness for the entire nation, asking for God to restore them. This is going to happen again. And you can almost be guaranteed that this psalm will be read during the tribulation when the Jews gather and they realize what happened, why they rejected Jesus and what's happened to their nation. And I, you just almost are sure they're going to they're gonna come back and pray this prayer and ask for God to restore them, to cause his face to shine upon them. And he, they said, if we do that, we will be saved. They're going to know that they, now that they've yielded up and they've asked forgiveness, they, they will be saved. It's kind of, it's exciting when we have these songs. We look at them and see how they were used in the past when they had so much opposition and, and had, were suffering for the rebellion, but how it's going to happen again. Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, and in the seas and in all deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain, who brings forth the wind from its treasuries. He smote the firstborn of Egypt, both men and beast. He sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He smote many nations and slew many kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. Your name, O Lord, is everlasting. Your remembrance, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people and will have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the works of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, 
bless the Lord. You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So you see these blessings that are being poured out, a heart of praise, following after the other psalm where there's a repentance and a, and a pleading for God to come back. Not that they were um, written one right after the other, but are necessarily even from the same person. We know we have some various psalm writers of psalm. Most of them were David or Solomon or Asaph. This one's not mentioned, but whoever it was knew, lived in the time of great idolatry, of all kinds of immorality, and was experiencing famines, uh, wars, um, probably all kinds of judgments of God because of the rejection of him and consequences. Plus, they had known the history of Israel, of how harsh they had suffered because of the rebellion against God. Yet, what does the psalmist say? God, you're good. You're loving. Your your kindness is everlasting. Um, you are. He is mighty, mighty to save. I mean, I'm adding some in some other psalms and different things, but this was the attitude of the psalmist. They were they were blessing the Lord and blessed be the Lord for your goodness. Blessed are you that um, who gives us, you know, Zion and and you dwell amongst your people and all of these things. The psalmist believed in the greatness and the goodness of God, which I spoke on Sunday, that so many people today can't even imagine that. But that's how they saw him in the midst of everything they went through. Why? Because they knew he was the one and only God. They knew that the other idols were dumb, mute, and deaf. They had no ability to, um, to do anything in comparison to God. Now, there are entities behind the idols, obviously demonic entities, but the entities themselves, the creation that man was bowing down to, looking out and bowing down to, they were nothing. And he says, those who worship them will be like them. Probably the most profound, not the most profound, but a very profound theological statement in the Bible. Super profound for anybody that gets involved in these goofy world religions. You know, the Hindus with their thousands of gods and their elephant god and their monkey god and their this god and that god and the ones they bow down to the the image that we put up here in mexico the plastic or porcelain or concrete idols that people put up everywhere and they'll try and connect it to christianity but they are praying to those entities there's only one mediator between god and man and that is the man christ jesus only one person the Bible says we are to pray to Jesus. We pray to God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray in the name. You can get technical, but we pray to God in the name of Jesus. But as part of the Trinity, when we pray to God, we are praying to the whole Trinity, the triune being of God. So um, this is where we draw the line. And anything other than that is idolatry. And once you do that, you become like the idol that you pray to and serve. If it cannot see, if it cannot hear, if it cannot talk, cannot think, you become like that. You can't 
talk, speak, or hear anything spiritually any longer. Not of truth. Can mimic <laughs> mimic things, I guess, but not really speak with authority from the source, which is the Word of God. Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epaphroditus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amphilitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and Stachis, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my kinsman. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphania and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Perses, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Anscrustus, Phlegon, Hemis, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eyes on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teachings which you have learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not not of our Lord Jesus, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the, for the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in the, and good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius and Jason, and so to Peter, my kinsman, and I, Tertius, who write this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, host, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Quartus, the brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations, leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. That's quite an ending to the book of Romans. A lot of 
lot of greetings to a lot of people that I cannot pronounce their names, and I apologize for that. Just notice real quickly which kind of names are their Greek names, their Jewish names, um, from every quadrant, every kind of, I should say, probably culture of that day. And what's so beautiful is how intensely close they were, no matter what city they were in. And Paul would travel around, and they were one church. And they they knew that they had to be one family because they were so outnumbered. And there was so much opposition against them. And while we're now in the billions, praise God, as believers in the family of God, in the end times, it's becoming more like this as it was in the beginning. There's going to continue to be um, more opposition and a need for us to be greeting one another by name and saying, hey, isn't it? What a blessing that we can travel country to country and find believers there. And some of the places that we can travel to can be highly hostile to the gospel, like some of the places Paul went. Yet there, there are brothers and sisters that will embrace you and feed you and treat you well and and, and you feel at home right away. And this is, this is the church, the body of Christ. And this is what it's all about. Paul knew that. So Paul treated the church just as we're studying in First John. That it's a, it's a family. And it's a place where people love one another in the agape love that God has given us. Divine light. Now, Charles Spurgeon for thou wilt light my candle, Psalm eighteen twenty-eight. It may be that my soul sits in darkness, and if it is, and if this be a spiritual kind, no human power can bring me light. Blessed be God, for he can enlighten my darkness, and at once light my candle, even though I may be surrounded by a darkness which might be felt, yet he can break the gloom and immediately make it bright around me. The mercy is that if he lights the candle, none can blow it out. Neither will it go out for lack of substance, nor burn out of itself through the lapse of hours. The lights which the Lord kindled in the beginning are shining still. The Lord's lamps may need trimming, but he does not put them out. Let me then listen to the nightingale sing in the dark. Expectation shall furnish me with music. And hope shall pitch the tune. Soon I shall rejoice in the candle of God's lighting. I am dull and dreary just now. Perhaps it is the weather, or bodily weakness, or the surprise of a sudden trouble. But whatever has made the darkness, it is God alone who will bring the light. My eyes are unto him alone. I shall soon have the candles of the Lord shining about me. And further on, in my own good time, I shall be where they need no candles, neither light nor sun. Hallelujah. Of course, referring to God's return and he and his son being the light of the new Jerusalem, where there's no need for sun or moon, that the Lord himself will be our light, literally. And here we have the promise that in whatever darkness we find ourselves in, we can we can wait on the Lord, we can call out to him, we can listen to the song in the night, and God will bring the light to us, bring the revelation to us. This is what many of us would ex- would say we experienced when we got saved. The loneliness, the emptiness, isolation, the darkness that we're, we were in, and in my case, I had some pretty much, I never was uh, suicidal, depressed, or any, any of that kind of stuff. 
Um, but there was a darkness around me that I could feel. It became, because of the stuff I got involved in, you could really sense it. But when God's light came in, wow, was it ever shining in the midst of that darkness. And it's powerful. And we need to know and need to call upon it when we feel like we are in that darkness and let his light come, transform us, and guide us. Be the lamp to our feet which guides our path. Father, thank you for this morning and guiding us and giving us this time. We ask you to bless it, God, and bless those that are that are looking to you for healing right now and looking for you for hope. We thank you for uh, the way you are blessing now and have touched Abigail, the um, daughter of Kim and uh, Dean, and how you are now causing her to walk in healing. And, and Joyce, that's a beautiful young uh, spirit, such a beautiful young woman, the whole family, and just have just a joy for you. So God, may you overwhelm that house with joy, with your presence, and just continue to bless them and grow them, God. Be the source of their strength, light in their home to overwhelm all darkness. We thank you for them. And thank you that for the fellowship that we have with them. And we look for the healing of Juan Carlos and the procedure he'll have put in the feeding tube on Thursday. Looking forward to that. God, that you can establish that so we can get that radiation treatment. And we pray for those that are going through really difficult times, death in families, or situations where they're separated from families, separated from parents. We just pray that you would um, bless them. <laughs> Even bless my little messenger friend online, one of these guys that are always trying to write to you to get money, which I now have opened up a ministry opportunity and witnessing to him who's responding. So we pray for our friend who puts his name as Zion. Um, pray for him, God, that you would touch him. It says he doesn't know exactly how to get to heaven. So use the conversation that we have with him, God, to bring him into salvation wherever he is in the world. Continue to use us on our social media networks, God, as we talk to people to bring in the light, to bring in the truth, and help us, God, use this time. Thank you for what you're doing in Jerusalem, God, in Israel, for the Feast of Trumpets now. People are um, looking up to you. They don't know quite yet who your son is, but open their eyes, God, as we see in what we've been reading today. Open their eyes. Help them cry out to you like in the Psalms. Ask for repentance. Come in and fill them, God, and then come back for us. We are excited to see what you're doing, Father. We bless you and give you the rest of this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that will do it. I'll catch up with you again tomorrow at the same time for Manna for Breakfast. Keep looking up. Bye-bye. <music>